This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. Hi there, Dr. Jen Lincoln here. I can't come to the phone right now, but we'll likely have an opening later on. Please leave me a message and I'll be at your cervix. I mean, <laughs> service in no time. Welcome to the Let's Talk About Down There podcast, episode seven. I am your host, Dr. Jennifer Lincoln, board certified OBGYN. And this week, I'm answering a question that relates to changes down there, aka your vagina. Yes, we say it here. After going through menopause. Hi, my name is Karen and I'm 55. I have not been in a relationship a sexual relationship since before I went into menopause, and I have definitely seen a dramatic decrease in vaginal secretions, and I'm wondering that if and when I resume a relationship with a sex partner, if I will be able to create my own vaginal secretions when I'm aroused with another person. I no longer become lubricated when I masturbate. So I'm wondering if that possibility may return when I'm with a partner, something that concerns me. Okay. Thanks so much. Karen, thank you so much for this question. And thank you for being brave and calling in. You don't need to thank me (laughs) for answering this question because Women of a certain age, women who've gone through menopause, they have been ignored for far too long. And we do such a poor job of, I feel like, and I can say this even as an OBGYN, I feel like we still have a long ways to go to making sure that we meet the needs of our menopausal and our postmenopausal patients. And I oftentimes feel like they're just hung out to dry. (laughs) I didn't mean that. Hung out to dry, get it dry, dry vagina. This is the kind of humor we have here. This is like my literally my whole job. And I find I find these things funny. And if you can't laugh about this stuff, like what can you do? But I really think it's important that we talk about this. And I I really, I appreciate you calling in and being brave and asking me this question because a lot of women especially think, I'm just going to grin and bear it. We don't talk enough about sex and vaginas after menopause. And why do you think that is? Like, just sit there and think for a second. For me, I think it's because once women and people with vaginas are no longer seen as desirable, sexy, hot sex kittens, then they seem to be no longer relevant to society and nothing could be further from the truth. But think about what you typically see on magazine covers, who you typically see roles for created for in Hollywood. You know, you think about fashion shows, you think about just what we're constantly bombarded with. And it's it's not often that it's people over 50, right? Like sure, there's some. And yes, JLo, we see you. We see you, okay? But like we're talking about regular people. Like we don't often see them. And if we do, we see people who look amazing, who often are surgically altered or have injectables and fillers and whatnot. I am not against that. I'm just saying that the standard of beauty is that of a young, premenopausal, sexual creature. And when you think about all the issues that might come with menopause, very rarely do we see that as the norm. Instead, we see it as this deficient state, as this state where you're no longer sexy or worth even talking about. So that then spills over into even our medical care. There's no shortage, right? Of like pregnancy books and things that we talk about. And there's no shame 
and buying those. But I guarantee you, people feel a lot differently when they go to buy a book about menopause or even when they go to ask their doctor because they don't even want to talk about sex. We might not even ask them about sex. We're just there to talk about pap smears and bleeding and breast exams and cancer and smoking and weight. And sometimes we don't even bring that up. So again, huge amount of issue, huge fault on us, on society as a whole. And when you don't even teach kids how their bodies work in elementary school and middle school and high school and beyond, all we do talk about is don't have sex or, you know, you'll get pregnant and die. And very rarely do we, if ever, talk about menopause other than that's when your eggs are no longer viable and yeah, you can't get pregnant and that's it, right? So if we don't give people the language to talk about these things, when are they going to ask? So that's my spiel. And to get right to it, Karen, it is most likely that your decreased lubrication, your decreased secretions, that's all directly related to the changes in your postmenopausal hormone levels. I do want to clarify that it's not from having sex, but it's more than likely from the transition because some people in Karen's exact situation might blame themselves and say, well, you use it or you lose it. And I haven't had sex in five years. So that's my fault that my vagina isn't working anymore and I'm no longer making lubrication. So not true. So I think we should first talk about menopause because I bet you a lot of us haven't talked about it recently or if ever. And if you have, it might be from a source like a social media post or something you've seen that isn't quite accurate. So what is the definition of menopause? It's actually a diagnosis we can only make after it happens. And I think that's really cool because the definition of menopause is no periods for 12 months. So an entire year, meaning if you don't have periods for nine months and then you get your period, oh, the clock starts all over again. And I know that's lame, but that's the way it goes because when we talk about the transition, the menopausal transition or being perimenopause, which is that time right leading up to menopause, it can start and stop. So you might feel some hot flashes here and there. You might feel some vaginal dryness, then it might get better. And it's because your ovaries are, you're not quite done. <laughs> and so they might for a few months, do not kick out an egg, don't do anything. And then one more gets out. And so you have a period and you might think, Jen, why does this matter? Well, it matters because well, for a lot of things, right? It's nice to know when you're fully through menopause. You know, from my standpoint, I want to know because once you've officially gone through menopause and you've had no bleeding for 12 months, if you all of a sudden start bleeding again, we now call that postmenopausal bleeding. And that's a really important distinction because postmenopausal bleeding is much more likely to be associated with precancer or cancer of the uterus. And so if you have that, I'm going to deal with that a bit differently than if you're. 35 and you've had some irregular periods and you know we're concerned about that doesn't mean that i totally don't listen to you if you're younger than you're in menopause but once you hit menopause and you start bleeding we are obligated to make sure that this bleeding isn't from cancer so i think that's really important the average age of menopause in the united states is about 51. that can vary based on your family history your health if you smoke couple other things. And so it's the average is 51, but that means that there's people who go through menopause younger and people who go through menopause later, and that can be entirely normal. And it's all related to estrogen. So estrogen is the hormone that's made by your ovaries. It's also made elsewhere, but I'm talking about estrogen made from your ovaries. And what happens when you go through menopause is that those levels go back down to the levels of before you went through puberty. So we often call it an estrogen deficient state but it makes it sound like you're somehow broken, right? Like you're deficient, you're decrepit, you're dry. Ooh, that's terrible. But really, do we ever talk about five-year-olds that way? <laughs> or 11-year-olds who haven't gone through puberty yet? No, they just 
They just haven't increased their estrogen for the time that they will in their lives. And then it goes back down. So think of it as, you know, kind of like a prepubescent state in terms of estrogen. And I just think that's like a rebranding that menopause needs. So what I want to talk about is what Karen is likely experiencing. Of course, with a disclaimer, Karen, that I'm not your doctor and that it's really important that you do reach out to a healthcare provider to see what's going on and to get the best care that you deserve. But what sounds like you could be experiencing is something called the genitourinary syndrome of menopause. I'll say that again. Genitourinary syndrome of menopause. We used to call this vaginal atrophy or vulvovaginal atrophy. You may have heard those words before, um, but we now call it this because this term is a bit more inclusive of what we actually see. And it didn't really, the old term vaginal atrophy, like it just focused on vaginal atrophy, like a like dried up atrophic vagina, which again, just sounds so sad, but it doesn't have to be. So this term genitourinary syndrome of menopause, or you'll hear me refer to it as GSM, because if you've listened to my other episodes, you know we love an abbreviation in the field of OBGYN. Also, it's just like a mouthful. I'm like, okay, can we just, can we just abbreviate it? Thank you. So genitourinary, this means that these are things that happen around the time of menopause, both in the genitogenitals and urinary. So bladder, urethra. So oftentimes we have just so focused when we think about menopause, what do you think of? You think of hot flashes, sleep disturbances, and vaginal dryness. That tends to be the things most people think of. And what we're ignoring is the fact that you can have other symptoms that have to do with your bladder or urinary tract infections, things like that. So calling it GSM, this entire syndrome of menopause, helps us realize there's more things that are going on and that we can tailor our treatments to that. This happens to a lot of people. So Karen, who called in, and the hundreds of thousands of other people who this happens to, and, and they might feel like it's just them, 25 to 85% of postmenopausal women and people with a vagina will experience GSM. The sad thing though, and it really breaks my heart, is that the vast majority of people will never seek care for this, even though it bothers them. And why is it? It's for all those reasons that I talked about earlier, that they might be ashamed because it feels really weird and, and shameful to talk about your vagina with a doctor maybe you just met or you only see every now and again, or maybe you think that once you've gone through menopause, why should you even care about sex? Like you're embarrassed or it's really embarrassing to talk about leaking urine, like all of those ingrained, a lot of times put on us by society ideas that these are very shameful things so people don't bring it up. The other thing is you have no idea that it's abnormal. You just think this is a part of aging, right? Just grin and bear it, move into the old folks home and give up. And it's so not true. So GSM can include symptoms of dryness, so vaginal dryness, vulvar, even the outside skin, the vulva can feel dry. There can be burning, which could be related to either infections or the fact that the skin is drier and it's rubbing up against each other and it's uncomfortable that irritation. There can also be issues with your bladder, like I mentioned. So you can have recurrent urinary tract infections or feeling like you have to go all the time. And this can be related to trauma around the outside of where you pee, the urethra, because it's a little more dry or that you're more prone to these infections because the skin isn't as healthy, the tissue isn't as healthy. And so bacteria can kind of get up in there more. There can also be sexual symptoms of pain and dryness related to the dry vaginal mucosa. It's really varied. And some people may have one or two of these symptoms. Others may have none. 
Others may have all these symptoms. It can totally vary. The key here is that they have to be bothersome in order to get a diagnosis. So there are plenty of postmenopausal people with vaginas who walk around who notice that they don't have as much lubrication and it doesn't bother them either because they've figured out how to manage it or maybe they're not currently sexually active in a way that requires lubrication. So they don't mind. So if that's not a problem, it's not a problem to us. This is all quality of life. Other symptoms may include recurrent vaginal infections because with the changes of menopause and the change in hormones, specifically estrogen, the decreased level of estrogen changes that mucosal lining of the vagina. Those cells become thinner. They become less acidic. And actually having an acidic vagina is a good thing, something you learned, but it's important because it encourages the growth of the right kind of bacteria. And what happens when you don't have that same level of acidity? different bacteria can take over and then you can become prone to infections. So you may notice a change in your discharge or itching, those symptoms that are signs of a vaginal infection. It's important when, if you notice these symptoms to not just brush it off to menopause, you do have to make sure. And that's why I said to Karen, you really do need to make sure you, you check in with a healthcare provider because you want to make sure there's not other issues going on that could be the cause of these symptoms. For example, other kinds of infections, other skin disorders like lichen sclerosis or lichen planus. And yes, cancer. And I don't want to scare people because I think once we hear the word cancer, we go, oh my gosh, it's cancer until proven otherwise. And that's really not the case. But it is important to get checked out. And this is why seeing your healthcare provider and not just grinning and bearing it is important, not just from a quality of life issue, but also to make sure that you're not missing something that potentially could be a problem. Here's kind of a bummer about genitourinary syndrome of menopause or GSM. Unlike hot flashes, which a lot of people will experience sort of as they are going through that menopause transition, you know, a few years prior and maybe just initially in menopause, while those often can get better, these symptoms tend to stay the same or get worse, which means that you think you're, well, it'll be better in six months. I'll give it another six months. It'll be better. It'll get, get better. For a lot of people, it doesn't. And it's really because it's related to that low estrogen status. That's not changing anytime soon when you're in menopause. And so just thinking it's going to get better and have wishful thinking, you know, if you give it a couple months and things aren't better, then yeah, it's probably time to come see us so that we can help you because we do have good treatments. Another thing that we may see with genitourinary syndrome of menopause is vaginal atrophy. Now you might say, Dr. Jen, you just said we're not calling it that anymore. What I mean is we don't call vaginal atrophy, you know, it's not the catch-all term for everything that happens to your vagina and down there after menopause, but it is a part of it and it can be an important part of it. And what happens is with less estrogen, it changes not only how the vagina functions, meaning less lubrication, but also the shape of it. So the vaginal canal can shorten and it can get a bit restricted. This is one of those situations where sometimes not having sex can make this worse. But in terms of Karen's specific question with lubrication, that's not a cause and effect thing. So I hope that makes sense. And I'll talk about the different treatments for both vaginal atrophy and what Karen called in about as we answer this question. But just know that having decreased lubrication isn't related to lose it or use it, whereas vaginal atrophy, if the vagina isn't routinely dilated, it could make it worse. All of these symptoms you might see at other times of low estrogen as well. So you might think, okay, like, good news, I only have to worry about vaginal dryness or recurrent UTIs or, you know, things like that only when I go through menopause. Well, I'm here to tell you that there are other times in your life where you may have a lower estrogen status too. Specifically, uh, most common after giving birth or breastfeeding, especially with breastfeeding. So this is when your estrogen levels are kept low 
And that's great for breast milk production. It's not so great for your vagina. So some of these treatments that I will talk about later for GSM can be applied to that, although not all of them. But if you are listening to this because you're just like, I just love learning about this kind of stuff with Dr. Jen, even though I'm only 28 and I'm not going through menopause anytime soon, know that these are things to look out for too in terms of symptoms of vaginal dryness that can be really annoying and can actually make sex really painful, especially postpartum. But we do have things we can help. So don't hesitate to reach out or let your healthcare provider know. There's other things too, like autoimmune disorders that can also lead to this sort of, of dryness and symptoms. So like I said, this is why partnering with a provider is super important. And going back to vaginal atrophy, so what we see on physical exam when you come in, whether it's for just vaginal atrophy or other symptoms of GSM, when we do a physical exam, we might see that the skin outside of the vulva and even in the vagina is very thin, it can tear very easily. There may be little cuts or fissures where it's rubbed against, you know, the skin rubbing against the skin or rubbing against your clothes has caused enough trauma to have a tear. The vagina itself, the opening of the vagina may appear smaller and the labia sometimes even fuse together. I know that sounds really extreme, but estrogen is really important for vulvovaginal health. And when there isn't as much there, you can see these physical changes. So because of that labia fusing, it can actually lead to that smaller opening of the vagina, which is why sometimes pain with sex or the inability to have sex can be one of the presenting symptoms of GSM. And if we were to take a little swab of vaginal discharge and put it on a piece of pH paper, we would see that the pH of the vagina changes and it's less acidic and it's more basic. And that could be why you're more prone to vaginal infections. Okay, this sounds like a lot. This is like heavy. And I'm telling you all the bad things about your dry vagina, right? Like, but I'm here to tell you that treatment exists and they actually work really, really well. I can't always say this about the things that we use in medicine, but when it comes to treating vulvovaginal symptoms of menopause, we have some really good stuff. First things first, like I said, get a diagnosis, super important. Second thing, having a sex partner likely won't improve your specific issue, Karen, with lubrication. And in fact, it could actually make your symptoms worse because you might realize that sex is uncomfortable. You might feel like you have to grin and bear it because you don't wanna be a bad partner because you don't wanna say, ah, that hurts, let's slow down. Like, oh, you're saying, oh, I'll just deal with it and it'll make him happy when actually it makes nobody happy. So those are two really important things to know. So let's say you come in, you see us, you get a diagnosis of GSM. Let's talk treatments. I'm going to start with some of the things that are what many people will try first, what they consider less scary or less invasive to what might feel a little more. And I say a little more because they include hormones and people get really scared about hormones, especially at menopause. And I get it. There's been a lot of bad press about hormones. I'm not going to go into all of that today, but what I'm going to offer you are a wide variety of different treatment options. And some people try all of them. Some people just use one and they figure out what works for them. It's really trial and error. So the first thing is lube. Vaginal lubrication is a girl's best friend and anybody with a vagina. So what I'm talking about when you think about, you know, your KY, your Astroglide, your Pure, there is a ton of different kinds of lube out there. I would say stay away from oil-based lubes because if you're depending on Condoms for birth control. Now, granted, if you're postmenopausal, you wouldn't necessarily worry about that. But if you're using it in perimenopause or if you're using it to prevent sexually transmitted infections, you wouldn't want to use this because it can cause condoms to break down. So this is to be used at the time of sex. And you really can't use too much. Use it, you know, put it outside the vulva, 
put it on the penis, put it on your fingers, toys, like lube for everyone. Just buy like a Costco size thing of lube. Actually, do they sell lube at Costco? I feel like I should know about this. I'm going to check on that the next time I go um, and figure out which kind works for you. Don't use anything with scents, none of that warming garbage or anything with sparkles or anything weird. Like keep it simple. That's not just for people in menopause. That's for everybody. So lube can be really awesome. And in fact, you can use it even if you're using some of these other treatments here. I think lube is everybody's best friend. The second thing are vaginal moisturizers. And this is actually completely different from vaginal lube. So these are moisturizers. These are meant to be used long-term, whether it's daily or every few days. And their whole goal is that they trap in moisture. And this is like a replens. You know, there's a bunch of different kinds out there. Some are hyaluronic acid, others are non-hyaluronic acid. And there's really no difference. It's about figuring out what works for you. And you apply this and it's really to trap in moisture. So think of this more as like a maintenance thing that you would do. And then you could also use lube at the time of sex. So you could definitely use these two together. I'm going to talk next about hormones and I'm going to go right to that because I want you to know that honestly, these work the best. Like vaginal estrogen is where it's at. And I am not saying this in a glib way or in a way of like, oh, this is no big deal. Just everybody should have vaginal estrogen. But really and truly, it works so well for the symptoms that Karen is describing that I got to talk about it first. And then I'll talk about some other non-hormonal options. But when we're talking about hormones, I'm talking here about vaginal hormones, because there's two different kinds of hormones you can use to treat menopausal symptoms. There's what we call local, local meaning you put it right there. So local vaginal hormones, and then there's systemic hormones. So hormones that are kind of go throughout your entire bloodstream, whether it's a pill that you take, or it's a patch that you wear, something like that. And so, so two different classes here, and I'm focusing right now on vaginal or local hormones. This is really estrogen that you put in your vagina and it works and it makes sense, right? Because if your symptoms are in your vagina and you put the estrogen in your vagina and it's going to help it right there. And we know that all of this is because you don't have enough estrogen. Like it's, you know, one plus one equals two. It makes sense. Vaginal estrogen can come in different formulations. It can be in a cream, in a suppository, in like a little tablet or in a ring. They all work really well. And I really think that the ring is one method that people tend to really love. It's the same ring that you use for three months. And that's really cool because it's like a set in, forget it. Some people feel that the suppositories or the creams are just too messy, but really you figure out what works for you and you can talk to your healthcare provider and figure out what works for you. The good news with this type of estrogen therapy is very little gets into your bloodstream or goes into your system. And the reason I mention that is because when people hear about hormones used to treat menopause, they worry about things like blood clots, strokes, heart attacks, breast cancer. And I hear you, those are very real risks. When it comes to using vaginal estrogen, that's a whole different ball of wax and it is very safe. So it's very much in a different risk category than when I'm talking about systemic hormones. So many people will start off with lube or moisturizers and then graduate to hormones that they put in their vagina and they think, why did I not start here? And I'm not saying that's what's going to work for you, Karen, but I have a sneaking suspicion it might be in your future and you might really, really get a good result from it. The next option for treatment is that systemic hormone therapy. So let's say you've also got hot flashes or insomnia, you know, things that we use systemic, you know, whether it's a patch or a pill that you take, that kind of hormone therapy. We do know that that will often help your vaginal symptoms too. Some people use both, both vaginal and systemic therapy, because 
they have systemic issues like hot flashes they really need to treat, and it's just also not enough for their vaginal symptoms. But I would want you to talk to your healthcare provider about that. So I do have to say hormones can be really amazing for your vagina. Now, if you don't want to try hormones or you can't because of other issues, maybe like breast cancer, or you're just worried about it, there are non-hormonal treatments for these vaginal symptoms for this GSM syndrome that I've been talking about. The first one is called Osfina, also known as Ospemifeme. Don't you love the names of things? And what this is, is it's an estrogen agonist and antagonist, meaning that it increases, you know, acts like estrogen in one area and decreases in others. This is FDA approved for vaginal dryness related to menopause. This is a once a day pill that you take and it can help with vaginal dryness that's caused by menopause. The nice thing about it is that it doesn't have any hormone in it. So some people who feel like they need treatment for their vaginal symptoms, but don't want to take hormones, this is one option. Another one is called Intrarosa, which is a steroid that is an intermediate between androgens and estrogen. So it's a vaginal suppository. And when placed in the vagina, it is then transformed into testosterone and estrogen by the vaginal mucosal cells. And then you have the benefits of that estrogen in there. So it's a way to get estrogen in your body, but it's not a direct hormone like taking a vaginal estrogen. If you don't know which one might be right for you, this is where it's a great time to partner with your healthcare provider and talk about risks and benefits and, and all those sorts of things for you. Now, in addition to all of these treatments that I've mentioned, sometimes dilators or what we call dilator therapy might also be needed. And it's not because of the lack of lubrication like what we're talking about here, but if someone does have vaginal atrophy where that vaginal canal has shortened and has become less elastic and a bit restricted, using dilators, starting with a smaller size and eventually going up to bigger sizes that resemble the size of a you know, partner's penis if they're currently having sex with somebody who has a penis, that can be a really good way to slowly help get that vagina back to the shape that it was, making sex comfortable. And oftentimes people will partner this with vaginal estrogen therapy as well. What about herbal therapy? Because I know somebody's going to ask me this. And I do want you to know that we've looked at this and things like soy and black cohosh, they have not been shown to help with these particular symptoms of menopause related to genitourinary syndrome of menopause. I'm not talking about systemic you know, taking it for hot flushes and those sorts of other things, but specifically for the vagina, they've just not been shown to be that helpful. So this is not one that I would hang your hat on here. So Karen, I hope that helps you kind of understand what you're experiencing is very common, very normal and very treatable. But what about vaginal rejuvenation? Have any of you heard of that? And that is a segue into this week's segment of Clitorally, where I literally, clitorally review things that I cannot stand. So what I'm featuring is what comes up when you look up vaginal rejuvenation on TikTok. And I hate to tell you, it's not good. Let's have a listen to this one, where this provider is talking about something called the Mona Lisa touch. Let's have a listen. The Mona Lisa Touch is a CO2 laser treatment for the vaginal canal and it is a game changer. The procedure itself takes five minutes and is done right here in our office. It is painless and requires 48 hours of downtime, no tampons or intercourse. I recommend three treatments spaced six weeks apart and patients notice a difference within two weeks. Patients who experience painful intercourse, vaginal dryness, recurrent urinary tract infections, incontinence, or lack of orgasm would benefit from this procedure. 
Okay, so I know that listening to this, you can't see this. So let me describe what this is. It's called the Mona Lisa Touch, which is, oof, what a name. And it's this laser that is shaped like a penis and it goes in your vagina. And I'll describe how it works. And what you couldn't see there, what this provider had on the first opening TikTok scene there was feminine rejuvenation. And I hate that because that totally plays into this idea that we are somehow less feminine and we need to be rejuvenated after we've gone through menopause. I hate it so much. Like you're somehow less of a woman because you don't have a period. Ugh, I hate it. Okay. So even though this, you know, they make this sound like it's a vaginal fountain of youth, it's not. So this is a CO2 laser, goes in the vaginal canal. It's used in a various number of ways. And here's what they claim on their website. So it works by allowing repetitive firing of the laser with more concentrated energy, which enables deeper penetration of the energy into soft tissues. <sighs> okay. So I don't know, like when you talk about like putting things in your vagina, like a laser that's going more deeply into my tissues, like isn't on my list of things that I think is a good idea. They then say, and this is again coming from the Mona Lisa Touch website, the only laser therapy for vaginal atrophy symptoms in menopausal and postpartum women supported by scientific analysis. Hmm, is it though? Here's the fun thing. There are some studies that have looked at this, but it's not like these are huge published studies that are widely accepted by the medical community. More to come on that. Okay, so here's how they say the mechanism of action, how it works. By gently acting on tissue of the vaginal mucosa, the laser stimulates the production of collagen, improving the functionality of the treated area and restoring the proper trophic balance to the mucous membrane. And then the website says, do you want to regain your femininity? Mona Lisa, kiss my ass. Like, I'm sorry, that is just so rude. Like somehow we are all just wasting away in our menopausal states, completely not feminine. We should just be sent to the colonies, right? Like, isn't that what happened on Handmaid's Tale? Like, just send them away. I just ugh, I can't stand it. Oh, and by the way, this is cash only. So no insurance covers this. And the website specifically says, wait till you hear it. The Mona Lisa Touch laser may help expand your practice potential by growing your office-based procedures. That is jargon for this can help you make more money in your practice because insurance doesn't cover it and you can bill people directly. So I want to say with something like this, if you feel like you need to have this done and you have it done and it makes you feel better about yourself, go for it. What I can't stand is the predatory marketing, the way it shames you into feeling like you're not feminine somehow if you have a postmenopausal vagina and the false claims. So let's get back to the TikTok. You couldn't see. So at the end, remember when she said all the things that it would treat, right? Painful intercourse, dryness, urinary tract infections, incontinence. And then she said this. Or lack of orgasm would benefit from this procedure. So she said lack of orgasm, but the text on the screen said sexual dysfunction. And here's my concern. This one baffles me because for over 80% of people who have a vagina, what they need to orgasm, it's related to their clitoris, not the vaginal canal. So why is this provider somehow making it sound like the Mona Lisa touch, which will somehow plump up your vagina, is going to help with issues with orgasm? Not only is it inaccurate, but it's also giving people false hope. And then it also places the blame that if you think somehow you can't orgasm with your partner, it's because of your vagina, not because that they have totally forgotten about your clitoris. I'm actually really annoyed by that. So let's talk about, you know, how they claim that this is 
supported by scientific analysis, here's what the American College of OBGYN has said. The Food and Drug Administration, so the FDA, has not approved any laser or other energy-based treatments for vaginal cosmetic surgery. These treatments also have not been approved for treating menopause symptoms, urinary incontinence, or other sexual problems. The FDA has warned that laser or other energy-based treatments for vaginal rejuvenation can cause serious complications. These can include vaginal burns, scarring, pain with sex, and long-lasting pain. So why is it that companies like this, which by the way, have gotten in trouble from the FDA for the claims that they had on their website, and in order for me to see all those things that they claimed, I had to click the box that said I'm not in the United States or Canada. That's a whole legal thing. Why is it that they continue to market these things? And make it sound like if you have this thing stuck in your vagina, it gets heated up by a laser, all of a sudden you're going to become this feminine goddess again and sex will be amazing. Why? Because there's dollars in it. Dollars, profits. Ugh, it's, it's, it's just, it gets me so annoyed. And what concerns me even more is that you're seeing these not just in doctor's offices, which is gross enough, but you're seeing it in these meta spas, in these aesthetic establishments where... I hate to say it, but some of these people are getting very minimal training to use these things. And that's really concerning, especially when, like I've said, we've seen people who've had vaginal scarring. Can you imagine having a burn from a laser in your vagina? Yikes. So clitorally, literally, I say pass. And let's leave Mona Lisa in the Louvre where she belongs. Because I think if she saw this, you know how we can't tell if she's smiling or not in that picture? She would definitely not be smiling if she saw this. All right, let's wrap up what we talked about in this episode. So Karen, what you're experiencing with decreased lubrication and secretion in your vagina is very common, very normal for somebody who's gone through menopause. You didn't cause it by not having sex. It's a really good idea to get evaluated by your healthcare provider. And we've got really good treatments, but the Mona Lisa Touch is not one of them. I would love to get more of your questions, your comments. Go ahead. Feel free to call in the Viva La Volvo voicemail or leave me a voice message in my Instagram DMs at Dr. Jennifer Lincoln about menopause or anything else. And until next week, stay safe, my friends. Okay, it's that time where I ask you to rate, review, and follow on your favorite podcast app because we know that's how we get more people talking. So call in at 503-893-2016 and join me online at Dr. Jennifer Lincoln. So let's keep the conversation going, my friends. Call in, leave a question, and know that it's okay to have questions about your body, and we're going to answer them. Yeah.